We're super excited to have joined the Three Sphinx Media Network and wanted to tell you about one of their shows that we think you'll love. The Poetry Podcast, spelled poet-tree like a tree in the ground, features two of New York City's most prolific poets, Patrice Barber III and Stony Tony. Each episode, they give you an immersive look into the stories and creative processes behind their most personal and intimate poems, from funny stories about surviving the pandemic to reflecting on introspective conversations with those closest to them. If you've missed me talking through Sappho's poetry, and we know you have, (laughs) you'll love this podcast. We really enjoyed their first episode and learned so much about not only the poems, but also the culture surrounding them. Find the Poetry Podcast, that's two words, on Three Strings Media Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out their other shows, Mempathy, South in the City, and that Brooklyn film show. So, you know, as you know, we're all from the Church of Sappho here. And so we'd like to start off with a hymn to... An ode. An ode. If you will. Yes. <laughs> to the Book of Sappho. To the Book of Sappho or our other Bible, which Liv isn't here yet, but it's the Aphrodite Greek mythology we've got here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, let's do here this. We ready? We're ready. Oh, wait. Come to me from Crete to this holy temple. Here to your sweet apple grove. Smoking with frankincense. Cold water ripples through apple branches, the whole place shadowed in roses from the Which actually it's really easy to remember because it's written it's on, on our, our shirts. shirts. So if you want to sing along, 
um please just, do so it's it's pretty easy to follow it's, we it's, got this i think we believe in you we want to see dancing if yes, you want to get up we and gotta move, get it get it moving totally can let's go <laughs> let's go disco yeah here we go are we good coming oh yes. yeah there we go you can turn it off turn yeah. it off yeah So that's how it ends. Sorry, it's a fragment. This is the problem with some of Sappho's work. You know, it's very fragmented. Whoop! Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'll be in the other room. Okay. <laughs> Super professional. Let's get this party started. I feel very party ready. Everyone, welcome officially to Sweet Bitters Live episode, a podcast where we investigate the truth and controversy surrounding Sappho, her life, the Isle of Lesbos, and her relevance today. We're your hosts, Ellie Brigida and Lisa Charlotte. And welcome to our live season one wrap up where we're going to be talking to some of our favorite guests and new guests and talking about our favorite moments on the show. Absolutely. And as always, we're so excited to have our resident poet here, Elise. Hey, Elise. Hey, y'all. Elise, you look so good tonight. You look so, like such a rocker. Honestly. Thanks. You know, I was on a quest to find the perfect leather jacket, and I only just found it in time for this event, so it was oh, all meant to be. But I'm wearing my Eros uniform underneath. It's just very cold in my garage right now. So. <laughs> it's okay. As long yeah. as you have the uniform on, you're still a part of this. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> really glad I put on that t-shirt. <laughs> very, like very important. <laughs> no, you'll never be fired. You have tenure on this podcast. <laughs> it's music to a poor little academic's ears. <laughs> yes. We are so happy to have you here, Elise. Do you want to introduce our first guest? I am so excited to introduce our first guest, um, Kristen Russo. So, Kristen is a writer, educator, and consultant with a focus on lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer issues. She co-founded the LGBTQ organizations Everyone is Gay and My Kid is Gay. Uh, she authored This is a Book for Parents of Gay Kids, which is an amazing, important book. She also worked as host and producer of First Person, a video series on gender and sexuality from PBS Digital and WNET. WNET? WNET. She holds a master's in gender studies from the CUNY Graduate Center and of course, she's the executive producer and co-host of the critically acclaimed podcast, Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Welcome, Kristen. Oh, hi. Hi, Elise. Thanks for that beautiful introduction. Also, we're pals, you know. There's that. There's like, that. also, you were like, oh, that this book, this is, a, this is a great book. And I was like, yo, Elise is in that book. 
Oh my God. That was so. We go back a long way. (laughs) I remember working on that project and it just felt so exciting because it's just such a beautiful, important book that I think everyone should read. Thank you. I was very, very excited to have it out there in the world. I wish that I had it for my own mom (laughs) back in 1998. (laughs) Right? Right? Me too. Sappho probably could have used it, to be honest. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, Sappho would. Hey, read this. Check this out. It'll explain my poetry. Well, we're so excited to have you. And I was wondering if you might like to read a Sappho poem with me. I mean, I have to say I like I'm very nervous, but I have a small part. Thank God, because this is like what you do. You know, like this is your jam. You read poems. So I'm going to try to do my best in uh, reading this with you. Yes, you know, just channel your inner Aphrodite. I know that it won't be hard. Just you know, tap into that <laughs> goddess energy. And you'll be fine. So I'm going to be Sappho. Chris News is going to be Aphrodite in Sappho's poem number one. The only complete poem of hers we have, Ode to Aphrodite. Okay, here we go. On the throne of many hues, immortal Aphrodite, child of Zeus, weaving wiles, I beg you, do not break my spirit. O queen, with pain or sorrow, but come. If ever before from far away you heard my voice and listened, and leaving your father's golden home you came, your chariot yoked with lovely sparrows, drawing you quickly over the dark earth, in a whirling cloud of wings down the sky through midair, suddenly here. Blessed one, with a smile on your deathless face, you ask, what have I suffered again? And why do I call again? And what in my wild heart do I most wish would happen? Once again, who must I persuade to turn back to your love? Sappho, who wrongs you? If now she flees, soon she'll chase. If rejecting gifts, then she'll give. If not loving, soon she'll love, even against her will. Come to me now, release me from these troubles. Everything my heart longs to have fulfilled, fulfill, and you be my ally. I have a question. Yeah, please. Out of the gates, I have a question because, so I went back to, um, the beginning of Sappho and my life, which is rooted in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And you read on the podcast this poem, but you read the Ann Carson translation. And so I was looking at this document while you were reading from the past into my ear. And I was like, this is not what happened to Anne. What happened? Why did Anne get the boot? What's going on? Well, so like we were not able to interview Ann Carson for our podcast. We were able to interview Diane Rayer. And so we sometimes feel like a certain allegiance to her translations, you know, because we know her. She's like our bestie. She is um, she, her voice introduces the, the very beginning segment of the of the podcast every time. So I think it might just be out of Diane loyalty. And that's very fragment. Of so where you go, I go. Way. So here we are with Diane. <laughs> My, my computer, like the minute you started reading as Aphrodite, my whole audio on my computer just fell apart. So I didn't hear a word of your reading. It was too beautiful for my computer to handle. Wow. Like it just shut down. I mean, you told me to channel my inner Aphrodite. So I did. (laughs) Got off at the most important point. Um, Well, Kristen, you actually, as you know, inspired this whole podcast um, because you had me, so the, the, the legend is, you had me on Buffering to talk about um, Willow tattooing Tara with a 
po- that this poem this by poem. Sappho in ancient Greek. And then Lisa heard it and was like, let's make a whole podcast about Sappho. So thank you for being the inspiration for our whole game here. You're so welcome. Um, I was delighted to learn more about Sappho then, and I'm always delighted to learn more. So I'm glad that somehow by our conversation, the world gets to know even more about Sappho than they did. Have you um, inspired any other podcasts that you're aware of? I mean, probably just because, like, <laughs> I'm... I saw Lee raise their hand. Oh, really? <laughs> so what I was going to say is, like, I don't think that I've, although maybe Lee will will disprove this right out of the gates. Uh, you're the only podcast that I know of that, like, like, sort of the idea manifested inside of our podcast space. You know, like, I don't know that that has happened uh, outside of this podcast, but I know that we've gotten emails from people who've done, who started rewatch podcasts um, because we're rewatching Buffy. And so, like, I think there's like a Xena rewatch that maybe we uh, influenced. I think, I know, I see Bailey gasping. Um, I know there's a Xena rewatch podcast. I just am not sure if my facts are correct about it having any uh, inspiration from buffering. But yeah, so I guess a couple. That's incredible, and I'm not surprised at all to hear it. <laughs> Y'all's um, Once More with Feeling episode was incredible, and, I, I you know, it, it was amazing. Thank um, you. And I feel like you are Sappho, right? That feels like, like... feels like a little bit of a stretch, <laughs> but we did rhyme lesbian with lesbian, <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, I think she would be proud of that at the very least. But um, yeah, that was I mean, it's been like to be serious uh, for a second, very hard for me to do. But um, it's been really, really cool to um, get to participate in songwriting, which, of course, is so closely linked is poetry writing um, with Jenny, because, you know, I in terms of like putting words to paper, that's something that I've always loved to do. And um, but I could never turn anything into a song by myself. And so it's been really, really amazing before once more with feeling even, but that was definitely the, the mammoth of it all. Um, to be able to say like, these are my feelings. And Jenny and I have developed a shared language at this point where I'm like, can you make it feel like this? And she's like, so what you're asking for is more <laughs> verb. I'm like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, whatever that is. Yeah. Asking for a minor chord. Sure. <laughs> Uh, but it has been really fun. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. How how has it felt hearing all the great reviews and feedback and praise? It's just been, I mean, you know, doing Once More with Once More with Feeling, which, I, you know, if you don't know, it, Once More with Feeling is the musical episode of Buffy. And uh, we wrote a musical ep- podcast to honor it. And um, we did it just because we love the show, which is really like why we do the whole podcast. So, um I feel I always feel like it's less of us being like, look at this thing we made. You should like it. And more like, look at this thing that we made. Isn't it so cool, you guys? And like, we're all just like geeking the fuck out over it, you know, like so I, it was great to hear everybody like be excited. But I really felt like I was also just as excited as though it had not like it didn't seem like I had made it. I just like blacked out for six months and then there was a musical and I was like, this is great. <laughs> Oh my god, I wonder if like two and a half millennia from now there will be like fragments of oh your god. songs left for scholars to like argue over and like piece back together. I mean, just as a- lesbian Elise. but not thespian and they're like, What did they rhyme lesbian with? <laughs> right. It's like if you if you know the like
like buffering song library, you know that like those fragments could really go in so many directions. <laughs> like we could either be like the most serious poetic podcast in history or like the most ludicrous, ridiculous <laughs> podcast. All depends on what's left, I guess. Look, scholars need something to argue about, so I think it's perfect. I love this plan. I love everything. I mean, Kristen, if you'd like to join us, we're going to go and bury our podcast, like, <laughs> with papyrus and sand. We're just trying to really trick the future into thinking that yes, we're Yes, I would like to join you. Listen, listen, to anyone listening, if you ever want to bury uh, paper, old paper of any kind in sand, I will always join you. <laughs> always. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. good to know. Yeah, that sounds... I mean, yeah, it, that, that's the perfect way to do it. Uh, <laughs> okay, what other, Kristen, what other episodes of Buffy that, like, what are your most favorite sapphic episodes or moments from Buffy? So there's, like, a million, right? And I, I knew you were asking this question, so <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I had a, a journey with myself thinking about all the sapphic <laughs> moments that have gone by. Um, You're making, like, a BuzzFeed list in your head. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> cool. I think that, like, well, first of all, not my favorite, but definitely I think the most one of the most delightful sapphic moments in the past several seasons is when Faith draws a heart and the fog in the window for Buffy. Like that's, that's pretty fucking sapphic in so many ways. Oh. I can unpack it oh. if there's time at another point, but the, you know, we're in season six now. So, uh, you know, Willow and Tara, well, actually Willow and Tara are broken up, um, but they've been together for a long time. And I think one of my favorite moments between the two of them I'm so sorry to be so serious uh, and so sad, but is actually in the body, um, which is, I believe, the first time that we see them kiss. And and that's why, because, you know, their relationship is so um, important, just like pop culture wise. Um, and I think that so much of what we had seen, at least up until that point, was so just like, uh, you know, the one off lesbian episode and two women kiss and one woman leaves and the other woman laughs about it. And like, that's your lesbian episode. And so it was clear that Willow and Tara weren't that uh, already, but I think the fact that their first kiss was rooted in, or the, the first kiss that we saw was rooted in a place of like shared grief and love and comfort uh, is just very powerful. Uh, so that's my pick. Wow. I love that <laughs> pick. It, it, it seems so cool that, yeah, it's, it's placed in the middle of this, experimental critically acclaimed you know work of art episode and then that just elevates it even more to have that that sapphic yeah moment. yeah Ugh. i mean there's a lot yeah. there's a lot so i had to at least give faith and buffy a little shout before i went real serious with willow and tara but... totally. <laughs> totally yeah no i get that i get that <laughs> i love the heart yeah that's a that's a great tiny moment Ugh. Um, okay, so what is next for y'all with buffering that you're excited about? I mean, listen, as I mentioned, we're in season six, so it's a fucking <laughs> ride right now. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it's funny. Every time I talk about season six in any way that uh, gives truth to the sadness that is season six and there's just it's a really heavy season so many people will respond on the internet and be like but it's like that's my favorite season that's my favorite season as though like me saying that like this is a really rough season means I don't like it or means that it's not good um which of course I know most people don't make that um you know don't equate it like that but I think that season season six is a 
doozy like to the point where (laughs) to the point where like every episode you're like okay so this episode is about x and then you watch it and you're like oh my god but also y and z and also double a and double b all happen inside of this one episode there's a lot of loss there's a lot of it's just you know so i'm excited we once more with feeling was like our joy for the season it was like we got to celebrate and do the thing and every time we would work on it I'd be like this is what we get this is what we get this um but the rest of the season is you know exciting in the sense that we are really growing up um Mm. with the whole gang and like getting to speak to brilliant humans I mean we just did an episode um that looks at Willow's whole arc through through the end of the series really um And talks about the parallel of magic um, as, uh, you know, a metaphor for substance use. And um, I think it's just really, it's really cool to unpack big things, but do it inside of uh, a television show about a vampire slayer. Because it, it's, it, you know, it's like, this isn't just an episode about, like, substance use right. and all of the things that go along with that conversation. It's also about Willow, and we get to talk about that. So, so yeah, it's a heavy season, but we're, we're doing it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, not not as much Sappho, not as much Sappho uh, in season six. You can six. never Sappho? have Sappho. That's the problem, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. <laughs> but right, frankly, there isn't a whole lot of like vampirism in Sappho's work either. So, mm. you know, maybe it's her shortcoming. To your to your knowledge, <laughs> I mean, yeah. again. You know, all of the lost fragments could be the ones about it's vampires. It's just vampires. Every gap is just like, and then he sucked her blood. And... <laughs> I'm loving this lore where it's just like this one vampire also like came and like destroyed all of them. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was like, you can never know. He was like, redacted, redacted, redacted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You never know. We'll never Probably know. like set set them all on fire because yeah. vampires, despite fire being the one of the few ways they can die, love to be around fire. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I was like, this would be a great way to. <laughs> yeah, we'll just set them ablaze yeah. and left only the left only the lesbian fragments behind, which seems yeah. like a vampire. Totally, totally. Yeah, actually, this theory is really starting to feel less like a conspiracy <laughs> theory to me and more like literal fact case <laughs> history. Thank you. Resident fucking poet, Elise, <laughs> is saying that this is valid. So you heard it here first. Wow. It's canon yeah. now. Yes. Sappho, vampire. I'm sure we canon. can ask Liv. You heard it yeah, here I'm first. Sure we can get, we'll bury it in the Liv sand. and Lee can put, you know, their historical, like, mark of, stamp of approval on this, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm personally standing this, like, vampire that loves just a whole bunch of lesbian poetry enough that. He'll redact anything that could be incriminating to the vampire community, but he's like, but you know what? <laughs> These two bitches. Let's just keep it in. Yes. Yeah, you gotta leave something. This seems but important. Love, you know what's like, really, but, like, an artifact. What's, what, like, what's hitting me right now is that like, if he didn't die in a fire caused by his own making, then he might still be alive. He might be listening to us right now. He might not, like, he could fucking finish all of these unfinished poems yeah. for us. He's the only kid. This is a, listen, everybody, we just wrote a television show. He's the show, key. So. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I was I was gonna say, do we think that Angel might be this vampire? <laughs> you know what's funny <laughs> like, is like, that I actually up, like come up across these. Like, obviously, he wasn't there in ancient Greece to be like, wait, no, hold on, let me censure Sappho as this is happening. But maybe the the literal first thing that I did, Lee, when this question came up, was think to myself, I wonder if that vampire was Spike. And then I was like, I don't think Spike would be alive. And I was trying to do the math of like, when was Sappho alive? How old is Spike? I'm pretty sure that they weren't alive yet. Right, I don't, Sappho I don't predates. Know that, I don't know that Spike would have uh, the nerve as a former poet to desecrate <laughs> poetry, but Angel constantly has his face stuck in some sort of book, and so I would imagine that he'd just be like, "Oh shit." Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Would, <laughs> I mean, it probably was Dracula. Really, he would have this like vampire vampire furrowed brow and be like, "I need to be a good ally here. I'm going to leave in all the queer stuff, and you know, like, this this is good. This is what I need to do. My with oh, my privilege." God. <laughs> my immortality privilege <laughs> okay well put that in your for... shanshu prophecy yeah. with that <laughs> nice gosh Kristen, thank you so much this has been amazing um thank you for having me this interview went exactly how i had hoped <laughs> it would <laughs> <laughs> um but yes thank you for having me it's been a delight i hope to be back um and sappho forever Oh. You'll always be our Aphrodite. Wow. That's the best compliment I've gotten in my whole life. <laughs> I want Sappho Forever on a t-shirt now. Sappho Forever. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kristen. We are going to introduce our next guest now. Our next guest is Lee, who is the host and producer of History is Gay, a podcast that examines the overlooked and underappreciated queer ladies, gents, and gentle envies from the unexplored corners of history. They're a big old queermo, thank you for that, I love that in your bio, <laughs> who can't and won't shut up about TV, comics, and the importance of LGBTQ representation on screen and off. When not working on podcasts or roaming about academic circles, they enjoy seeing hopeful and representative queer stories reflected in media, New Comic Book Wednesdays, Drinking Tea, Petting All the Dogs, and Fighting the Patriarchy. What a bio, Lee. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> try, you, you, you try I love to be the bio. <laughs> it's so good. It tells everything anyone would ever need to know about you. Thanks. It's so wonderful. <laughs> so we wanted to ask you to start. What is your favorite Sappho fragment? I know you have your, your Bible. With my you. Carson right next yeah, to me. Yeah, so what is your favorite fragment and would you do us the honor of reading it? Oh gosh. For us? Uh sure. I mean, I I have many, many reasons why this is my favorite fragment, but I mean, I I you can't get any better than fragment 31. Um so True. <laughs> yeah. Elise so. Elise agrees. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 really just like the superstar. It's the knockout. And it's, it's one of like the more the complete most, ones that we I have. I feel like the most queer content as well. Like, it's right. very relatable. Yeah. Yeah. He seems to me equal to the gods, that man. Whoever he is opposite you sits and listens close to your sweet speaking and lovely laughing. Oh, it puts the heart in my chest on wings. For when I look at you, even a moment, no speaking is left in me. No, tongue breaks and thin fire is racing under skin. And in no eyes, no sight and drumming fills ears. And cold sweat holds me and shaking grips me all, greener than grass. I am and dead, or almost, I seem to me. But all is to be dared, because even a person of poverty... This is the missing part where there's vampires. Yes. That's where it is. <laughs> 
Because even a person of poverty loves can be vampires. a vampire. Can be a vampire. <laughs> vampire <laughs> vampires like, are, are equal opportunity. Um, when you read that, what I know you said like there's a lot of things that are your favorite about it, but what what strikes you about it? Why is it like the poem for you? I mean, I think it's just one of it's there's multiple reasons. One of them, if I'm, you know, gonna put on my like queer historian academic hat, is uh it's it's the one that I find probably the most frequently and uh most cartwheelingly misinterpreted uh there are so many people who you know try to erase the queerness and be like it's about them having a nap uh and you're just like no this this is very sexy this is this is (laughs) very much about a woman seeing a woman that she loves with a man and being like no please come to me and then if I'm going to put my nerd and completely predictable hat on, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the poem that fucking Zena had Sappho commissioned for Gabrielle. So <laughs> I am always thinking of that episode and I'm like, hmm, yes. Sounds right. Yeah. That's actually a good segue because we wanted to talk to you more about Sappho in pop culture. So let's talk about Sappho in Zena. Oh, gosh. I mean... I, what's funny is that, uh, Kristen, you had mentioned the, yeah, the Xena Warrior podcast. I'm, I'm pretty good friends with all of those girls because we all, uh, so many things come back to this, like, convention that I go to every year, which is called TGIFM Slash, which is how me and my former co-host and I met. Yeah, so Sappho was mentioned in, in an episode of Xena that's kind of like the last hurrah episode before the finale where Xena surprises Gabrielle with, uh, for her birthday with tickets to go see Sappho in Thebes, and it's a, it's a whole romp with Aphrodite, and they miss it. And then Xena surprises Gabrielle with literally a Sappho poem written for her, and it's Fragment 31, and I just love that it's the show saying, like, unequivocally, this is how K we are. And also, <laughs> I'm, I'm really sad. There used to be... Um, you can find the the script on on the internet in various places, but there was going to be a Sappho episode. If anyone is a Xena fan, you know that there are two musical episodes. There was going to be a third one, and Ellie, since you worship at the altar of disco, it was yeah. going to be a disco musical. <laughs> no, yes. how could they? Not it was. Do this? It was going to be. I can't remember the name of the episode, but it was going to be a, a hijinksy episode where you meet Sappho, and Sappho is a doppelganger of Gabrielle, and she is with her lover, who is a doppelganger of Xena, and then they meet and get mixed up, and Sappho is like in the middle of writing a disco musical. I'm I'm so sad that this never got made. <laughs> I I think we have to make it. I want so Can badly for somebody to do like a a podcast like dramatic reading of it because it needs it needs to. I exist. mean, we could do that. Could do it that. has to be you and the other Lee, like the the two Lee doppelgangers. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, and then Elise and Lisa, we could be the other doppelgangers. No, now you're now oh now you're picking with gas. Yeah, it's, I've, I've definitely... and Ellie could be disco. <laughs> I've I've read the script. It's Done. beautiful. It's brilliant. It never made it past the script page. And I will forever be sad. I mean, we got to do a fundraiser for something. <laughs> Kristen, are you in? Yeah, I was just about to text Jenny and be like, did you know? 
<laughs> I like literally was picking up my phone. So yeah, I'm in. I'm in. A thousand percent. Yeah, yeah. Kristen, I'll, yeah. Uh, Kristen, I'll send you the script to, for, to forward on. Okay, great. Perfect. <laughs> we'll get right on that. I'm sure Jenny's going to yeah, be thrilled yeah, with me funny. when I'm like, hey, can you write another music? Can you just do another, one more musical? <laughs> can you do another yeah. musical? Just like one more. Uh, and then you will have made uh, one as many musicals as the folks of Xena did. Yeah, I. it's funny. I've kind of like become become known in like the buffering facebook group is like the xena dealer basically um every time jenny mentions it i'm like hey guys here you go uh yeah so <laughs> i love it so much um i'm also curious because you did a you did an episode of history is gay where you talked about sappho and a big part of it you were talking about sappho shit posting so tell us more <laughs> about what does that mean and like why were you like, yes, let's do this thing? Okay, so this came about from the episode when we were going through different fragments and just realizing that the very fragmented nature of Sappho's poetry makes it sometimes like even more beautiful than if it had been completed. But other times you look at it and you're just like, this has so many different opportunities for silliness and so much of... Sappho's poetry just reads like somebody up late at night on Tumblr writing some weird shit post. And I mean, frankly, like one of the one one of the ones that I think of the most is just the the fragment that the entirety of it is just celery. Yes. Um, or uh, there's God. I'm trying to like remember um, like all but different hair. You know, there's there's so many good ones. And so we we made this joke about about that like you could probably take various fragments and smoosh them together and see what would happen and we had a couple of we had a couple of listeners actually uh work with me to make it but I, we had like so many listeners actually write in and be like I do coding I could make this and we we're like <laughs> at, a, at a point we had to be like we have a team working on it thank you so it's on our website wait so Okay, it's on your website. So, like, if people want to make these things, can, can we do yes. a couple yeah. now, Lee? Could you yes. do a couple for us? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's on. Uh, if you want to check it out, it's historyisgaypodcast.com/sappho, and that's also where you can listen to our initial our initial Sappho episode. We did an we we've done it in three Sappho episodes because we did that one. We did one where we had Alexander Tidings from Xena, who plays Aphrodite, on to talk about queer love and poetry and Aphrodite and Sappho. Uh, and then we did our, our third episode with Elise and Lisa uh, to talk about Sweet Bitter. And, um, but yeah, so it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> One of the wonderful listeners who made it for us uh, took, a, took an illustration of Sappho and just threw on some like Ray-Bans, some like sunglasses. Yes, the sunglasses. I'm on the page right now. It's gorgeous. <laughs> I just yeah, so- generated a poem. Can I read it for you? Yes, please. So this is my Sappho poetry generator poem. They became for naught. We shall give, says father. Spangled is the earth with her crowns. Ooh, I like that one. Here, I've got, I've got one it. that it auto-generated for me. You burned me, daring, many skilled. Yes. It feels like a win every time you can get, uh, like, horse or, or celery to show up. <laughs> um, non-evil. I'm just going to keep hitting generate poem until I get horse. Right, yeah. <laughs> we've got, I just got Medea to show up. That was cool. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we've got uh, non-evil, <laughs> sinful, robes, necklaces for Gorgo. I just got one that I kind of like. It goes, uh, of the muses, cloth dripping, all but different hair. 
Yes. I love it. Cloth dripping is like another excellent one. <laughs> I really love it. Yeah, you can't go uh, wrong. I used have... to weave crowns, lady, but I to you of a white goat and I will pour wine over. I love of a white goat and I will pour wine, pour wine over. That's one of my favorite. Right? And that I just reminds me to love... drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> what I love drink. about it is that like, it is at times nearly impossible to tell that this is a made-up Sappho poem of a whole bunch of different fragments because that's just the nature of what we have. And so it's kind of, I like to imagine it as, you know, just kind of like taking these pieces of papyrus and like moving them around and like cutting them out, like kind of like, you know, like creating like a hostage letter, but with like, like Sappho fridge fragments magnets? of papyrus. Oh my God, we should make <laughs> Sappho fridge magnets. <gasps> yes. with all the different fragments yeah. and then you can put them into yeah. order ah yeah. oh. mm-hmm. next yes. that's our next merch thing we've done the nail clippers we've got the plectrum <laughs> we have the t-shirts and now fridge magnets go and i like too that like you could do so much with the magnets like you could put them on your fridge you could dump them in a sandbox and play papyrus you know indiana gent or you know, because the things like lose their mag- magnetic magneticism, and then they drop off your, and then you find like one word on your kitchen tile floor, and it's like spangles, and you're like, oh yeah, I feel like Malcolm the paparologist here. Yes, I also love the idea of like Elise, like that's like your daughter, like the gift you give her. You're like, here's your toy <laughs> in your sandbox. Put together these poems, totally. child. You know that's you know? how she's raised. That's Elise. absolutely Elise's parenting style. <laughs> yes, like. Yeah, that, I think that sounds really, really nice. And just see what she comes up with. Like, she's got these uh, magnets that are all the different letters. And anytime she and I are playing, I'm, I always find myself being like, what dirty words can I write with this combination of random letters I mean, she's what else pulled are you out? supposed like, to do, right? I told my niece that exactly. I'm allowed to say those words and that she gets a license when she's 18. Am I a bad auntie? You said she gets a swear license? Yeah, <laughs> I said you, when you turn 18, you get a license. <laughs> I'm Australian. I swear. Do so you the have time. to take a t- you have to take a test? Like you in get your, your driver's permit for swearing. I mean, you know, you got a pen license when you're like a certain age. Like I, you got, do you do that in America? No, you get a what? No. Okay, in Australia, when you're like in grade four, you get a pen license. So before then, you have to write in pencil. Are you? I'm not kidding. <laughs> Wait, what? What are you talking about right now? It's blowing my mind. <laughs> You are restricted in your writing media. You literally can't use a pen until you're in fourth grade. I don't remember exactly which grade it is. It's grade three or four. And then you get given a pen license. I think you have to like have a certain level of neatness of handwriting. Okay, cool. Am I just? Okay. So this isn't a thing you do in America apparently. (laughs) No, it is not a universal experience. But anyway, so I told my niece because I just cannot, I can't stop myself from swearing in front of her. I I see her too much. So rather than me, you know, being an adult and moderating my language, I told her that I'm allowed to say it because I have a license and that you get one when you're 18. I think it's a good workaround, personally. You do know now that you're going to have to, like, I 100% will give her a license. You're going to, like, you're going to, like, come up with some laminated, beautiful thing. Yeah, I love doing that. I made my my roommate a, a certificate the other day just, you know, for smashing the patriarchy. Oh, no? Am I weird? Oh, can, cool. I, anyway, can, can I have one of those? I, I will. I will make you a certificate. I'm just so. I'm, yeah, I'm just back here at the you guys. I've never recovered. And and like, and I'm also starting to think like. At first, I was like, "That's weird." And then I'm like, "Maybe it's weird that we don't in America. Like, we don't regulate anything. We don't regulate pens. It's just every." Like, I like that we have like, a spectrum like, of pens to guns. The most Somehow dangerous things. Gun oh, somebody in the chat just put Kinder Toys. 
We're allowed to have those in Australia too. But you can have guns, right? Just not Kinder toys? Yeah. Wild. They seem pretty dangerous. Our priorities are super in the right place. But we're doing great. It's great. 100%. Um, we are totally over time for talking about pen licenses. Um, this isn't a pen license podcast? Okay. My uh, bad. Lee, before we, uh, before we wrap up our segment with you, is there any other... Um, like favorite Sappho facts you want to share with our listeners? My favorite is just the whole story about, you know, Kirklos of Andros, Dick Johnson from Penis Island, uh, and, and how I just I love how much her legacy and entire characterization has shifted through the scholarship. And I think we're finally starting to see some really interesting directions i mean especially with uh you know with what y'all are doing and like talking to so many different people who are investigating and also utilizing sappho's work in so many different ways and i'm just forever sad that like i had to read fucking like catcher in the rye and the pearl like five times and never once in school was assigned to read any sappho so that's honestly just the worst the scarlet letter as well oh, yeah. <laughs> i had to read the pearl like four times in school and every Old time man it in the was sea. like pulling teeth it was so bad so many <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much lee that's actually a great introduction to our next guest uh so vanessa is an independent artist and interdisciplinary scholar of classical studies so on the outside of things she's a professional harpist and she composes music poetry lyric and drama for the stage on the scholarly side of things, she studies ancient myth and music with a focus on the lyre and its transmission of myth. She received a Bachelor of Arts at the Evergreen State College and a Master of Arts at Columbia University doing research on Greek tragedy. Let me just tell you what's happening. My lyre is out of tune. Why? Because New York in the past two weeks has had ridiculous weather that keeps going back and forth. And stringed instruments are terrible when that happens. So no matter how much I tune it, it just keeps slipping out. And in fact, Originally, uh, I was worried that I wouldn't be able to play it because I needed to replace the string. My paranete broke, and I finally did. And it broke again because I was tuning it too much. So for that reason, uh, I ended up just recording uh, my own song and doing a sort of back vocal that I can share with you guys and talk about it and explain it and sort of more of the process. And I can show you my lyre and talk about it and sort of take you through what it is, what it means. Sadly, I just cannot marry those two things and perform for you over Zoom today. And so I apologize. So you have recorded yourself singing as well or just a liar? Yeah. Okay, cool. That's perfect. Okay, so I've made you a co-host. So why don't you share your sound with us? Oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah. But before I do that, I did want to explain the liar a bit too, because you actually won't hear it that much on the back of the recording. I ended up switching out. It was just really coming through wonky and bad. And um, I've been working, I work on music and have been a lot more, especially the past six months. Uh, I was a composer for Barnard and Columbia's most recent production of Iphigenia in Alice. So I did a lot of uh, ancient Greek lyric stuff. Um, and I'm actually really used to just sort of like hopping uh, online and just making music really fast. So that's what I did uh, actually this morning was I just sort of retransposed everything into harp and cello because I was like, sure, why not? That 
seems like a good sort of mediator between the two. I actually try. You say that so casually, like it's something. I know it's do. very cool. It's like, yeah, just quickly, quickly <laughs> threw it in harp and cello. It was put really it up. Fun. It's amazing. I'm so oh, excited. Thank you. Uh, I tried ukulele actually, because I think harp and ukulele are actually the two best. Like if you're trying to get like a mediated lyre sound. Um, and then I realized that I didn't know how to write ukulele <laughs> and I didn't have time to learn how to really fast. So uh, I instead did cello because my older sister plays cello. So I'm just far more used to that one. Um, so sorry, <laughs> in case you're like cello, what? Um, that's why. So uh, as a brief sort of intro uh, to what I'm going to share with you, because uh, it's sort of like strange and confusing and a little different. Um, Ever since last summer, uh, I was quarantining at my uh, older sister's house in Seattle, just when things happened uh, with COVID here in NYC. I was like, let me go hang out with my sister for a bit. And so while I did that, most of what I did was like, I was very lucky that I brought my lyre with me. So this is my lyre. It is missing. It's sad little RNHA string right now. Uh, I made it in Tarquinia as part of Utrepe School, and John Franklin was heading it. He uh, teaches at University of Vermont, does a lot of ancient lyre stuff, does some really interesting, fascinating composition as well with it, too. Highly encourage everyone to check him out, uh, email him, he loves questions. And yeah, so this is sort of like a basic ancient seven-string lyre. Uh, they're really into the heptatonic uh, tuning system. And so this is sort of like thought to be sort of one of the more popular lyres uh, right around when Sappho was cropping up uh, in the like seventh and sixth centuries. These were really big. Um, sort of like earlier beyond that, the lyre was thought to sort of come out of uh, Mesopotamia and Africa, different types of lyres and harps, um, and sort of like these early stringed instruments. Four strings were really popular for a long time, then five, uh, seven was like, this was an intense moment. People were really into it. Um, but actually it ended up being eight strings ended up being pretty uh, pretty standard too, because like once they figured out that like full octave, it was really great. But also a lot of seven string tuning is the full octave. They just tend to like uh, leave out one note or another. And so just some like basic fun things about the lyre. Every, all the strings, tuned to the middle string, which is known as meze. And so it's basically sort of like the central core. So no matter what sort of tone it's in, uh, no matter what mode, you're always supposed to tune to the middle string. Um, in fact, they have like whole, uh, just talks about how like, you know, if one string is out of tune on the lyre, you can hear it. Um, however, if that one string is meze, then the entire lyre sounds out of tune. Like there's just no saving it. Like you have to make sure everything is in tune specifically to the middle string. Otherwise it just never works. Um, so there's a lot of fun, like philosophy metaphors that get taken off with that. Plato's really into it. He's just like, ah, meze, yes. Um, and his whole like laws and like harmonia, we must get into that. If folks want to read more about that, I highly recommend the book The City and the Stage by Marcus Fulch. That's his whole thing. He's like, let's look at music uh, because nomoi, the word for laws in ancient Greek, is also the word for like the musical modes and Kithara songs as well, uh, which is some fun punnage that Plato gets into. So yeah, this is a liar. I'm going to play it. It's going to be out. I'm so sorry. It's just like... Cool. Um... And usually with it, you have like this nice little like handhold that comes uh, and your plectrum, which is usually tied to it. So these were like, I don't, what did we make these up? 
And then actually the way that you play a lyre is that you use your fingers to damp certain strings um, and then to sort of release and let other ones. And so you get this, oh my gosh, this is why I'm not performing with this right now. You get this very guitar sort of sounding thing, uh, which is funny because like as a harpist, like I'm always just like, oh yeah, I'm not like those other pluck strings that need like plectrums. Like I just use my fingers, I'm fine. And now I'm just like, okay, fine. <laughs> I'm in the plectrum life now. I understand, I feel it. Um, but yeah, so that's basically it. This is my lyre. It's, I mostly just like play chords on it, um, and strum. It's really good for doing like bluesy things or other stuff that just repeats a lot. Uh, I'm still working my way up to getting to like some of the more fine shadings of like moving all my fingers around while I'm like strumming both ways. I'm not that good yet. It's really weird I won't lie doing like this whole different setup I'm so much more used to like both of my fingers like either being independent or working in tandem so like literally binding and latching uh one of my hands to a liar is like very different but I like it and I'm trying to get into it more so okay let me share with you I'm actually going to share my garage band this is sort of what it looks like when you mix music on <laughs> Uh, who do or don't. Um, and so what I was doing during quarantine, uh, when I brought my liar home to just hang out at my sister's, um, was that I was reading uh, a lot of different Sappho fragments, um, but also just trying to sort of fit them into music. And so the thing that I fit them into uh, most commonly uh, was the song Pink uh, by Janelle Monet featuring Grimes which is a, a wonderful song uh, that has lots of sort of like gaps and spaces in it. So like during a lot of the gaps and spaces, uh, I would just sort of interject different types uh, of Greek or different types of, I mean, not just Sappho, actually other uh, female poets too ended up there. Telesilla fragments were popping up, uh, a few others. But yeah, it was just really fun to just sort of put different fragments in, but then also move them uh, around. And so what I'm sharing with you guys is actually uh, the end of the song that I did. This is the part that I'm still working on the most. So I'm like, I would love to hear folks' thoughts and like feedback or like comments in the chat um, or stuff. Because what I'm doing here at the end, and so this is like this big gap where I don't have uh, any Greek, is that there is this like large rap uh, at the end of Pink, but you actually don't know about it unless you watch like the giant uh, full movie that she made of it dirty computer uh that's on youtube it's free it's only 45 minutes long go watch it where she goes on this like very like deep sort of like uh intense like love to talk about her uh girlfriend in the film said and so this was sort of like a part that like i want to like play with more and maybe even pair with a longer uh sappho poem because every sort of part around it before going into it and sort of at the end it's more of these sort of like fragments coming into all of these gaps so I want to share it with folks to just sort of like, since we're all interested and loving Sappho here, just sort of like even help uh, get your minds generating uh, to maybe help me. Like I thought about putting Sappho 1 in for a while, but then I was like 44 maybe with like Hector and Andromache. But then I like keep coming back to 2 as well. So um, I would just like you guys to sort of think about it. Um, and there's uh, one fragment in particular that keeps coming back around in this one, which is 22. Uh, which is great. I can read it uh, for folks afterwards, but 22 sort of opens and closes this piece. So uh, here we go. I just want to paint the tent. I don't want to hide my love. 
I just want to hold your hand and be the one that you think of when you need a holiday or when you want to drink rosé. I just want to paint your toes and in the morning kiss your nose. Cause when I'm with you, I don't feel afraid. Maybe this love will indoctrinate. I echo every word that you say. The way you feel, yeah, I feel the same way. Remember the night that I combed your hair? I hope I didn't freak you out when I stared. I donate my truth to you like I'm rich and truth is love ain't got no off switch. So if the walls come tumbling down then and if the ocean really does drown and, and if my memories never come back, well, I'll still remember where we first was naked at. Y'all picture our faces a newer oasis where we made love. We left many traces just like the blush that's on your cheeks. Deep inside, we're all just pink. Pink like the inside of you. Maybe pink like the walls and the door. Maybe pink like your fingers in my Maybe pink is the truth you can't hide. Pink like your tongue Maybe pink like the sun going down. pink like the holes of your heart. Maybe pink and yeah, that's it, <laughs> pretty much. Um, that's it, you say. <laughs> yeah, that is so, that is so great. So can you remind us, you're doing the what fragment in Greek at the end? Those are all just uh, different bits and pieces um, of Sappho's fragments. So there's like, Kukli uh, Kessin is just from like, Sappho too. Um, then there's like uh, Minolai Thumoi, uh, which is from uh, Sappho one. Uh, Rodorakes ninety four. No, that's so. No, that's so cool. I mean, it's like you're doing uh, what Lee did with the shit posting, mm-hmm. but in song, right? Taking a bunch of different yes. fragments and throwing them together. I mean, it is it is so cool. And we you talked about that um, in the episode that we just released. You talked a lot about Sappho and how she's actually influenced current like pop musicians could you talk a little bit more about that i know you did talk a little bit about janelle monae's pink we talked about wap tell us a little bit more about like other influences you see in music today oh yeah just like i mean i think even just like i think it's so hard especially for (laughs) classicists to talk about like uh musicians like having influence on each other um going forward but even I would maybe even argue that that's probably because a lot of classicists don't know a lot about music um but that's also a bit of controversial opinion that I hold uh personally um but yeah I think it's always like that sort of difficult question of just like well how do we see these things like linking up because like you know unless like people are singing about directly in their music and then it's just like and I'm doing this like Sappho was in 600 like (laughs) sadly there are no songs like that so Maybe one day. Maybe I'll write something. I was about to say, not yet. <laughs> not yet, indeed. Um, but uh, I think there are very fascinating parallels and patterns that you can look at. Um, and especially, like, in this is sort of, like, where my interests um, are with uh, my research. Comparative music cultures. Because, like, there are such 
fascinating parallels to draw between like, especially like the 20th century going into the 21st uh, with music versus Sappho's time period going into like, especially like the fifth century Athens and like, like a lot of what they get to with like theater. And so that's sort of where I see like a lot of parallels between her, um, but also just like the role she holds musically. Uh, a lot of the ancient music I look at is very predominantly male, very predominantly like, a man's sort of like occupation and like, but there are types of music that are seen as womanly, like in different ways, uh, especially lamentation mm. is like a big one, marriage songs. Um, so there's definitely genres of like women's music. And that's part of what like draws people to Sappho so much is like, she is playing like into these genres of like female songs, but she's also making them her own. Like she's, you know, has her own sounds. She has, you know, they remark on like the, her different types of meter, her different tones that she uses, uh, the ways in which she sort of like takes different types of myths and makes it her own. Uh, it's the reason why I love 44 so much and keep trying to uh, rework it into things. Cause I'm just like, oh, this, this marriage song of Hector and Andromache, like what a, fascinating sort of way and like looking at this and retooling uh, a lot of different sort of ways we know about this couple which is uh, mostly from epic um so very different sort of seeing them in lyric now too and so yeah there's a lot of sort of like fascinating uh movements uh that I sort of see her as like this very central figure around and so that's where I see a lot of uh, comparison with other sort of central female uh, singers and musicians historically too, especially ones that draw a lot of attention. Uh, and we're still trying to like figure, like I think Billie Holiday is not an uncomparable sort of person to say is within Sappho's tradition. But at the same time, I would also say, you know, like the modern uh, pop girls like Taylor Swift and Beyonce also definitely sort of have some mm -hmm. of those elements of like, of relatability, catchiness, universality, being loved for like all these multiple reasons, people defending them to the death, um, even when they're problematic uh, in some of like our own eyes. Like, and so I think there is uh, some interesting parallels, not only between celebrity cultures and sort of how we ourselves engage with that, because I think there is a lot more uh, celebrity culture in ancient Athens than some folks may care to admit. Um, but also these sort of patterns that happen once you get uh, large and diverse groups of people uh, doing all these different types of music and once the competition gets so high. Um, and so I'm still researching that, sort of looking at the 8th century to the 5th century around the Aegean and sort of like all the insane music stuff that happens. Like, and I don't mean that in an ableist way. Like, I mean, they were really like concerned with like different types of sounds and like the mindset that that puts you in, uh, the mentalities that those uh, held for you. And I think we see so many parallels of that with like the ways that like different, even just like media or politicians will talk about certain genres of music, uh, the, the need to sort of uh, copyright everything and like place things in specific genre, the anxiety certain artists create when they seem almost anti-genre in that way. Um, yeah, I think Sappho is a fascinating figure that sort of brings up all of these problems because like she is like the problematic like musician um, of antiquity. I mean, they're all like problematic in their own different ways, but she really does sort of uh, reorient the narrative. So I think that's where we can see some good parallels. Sorry, now I just feel like I'm rambling. No, that was great. Honestly, Vanessa, because like we've already spoken to you for like over an hour about this and I honestly want to listen to you talk about this forever and like, Thankfully, you live in my city, so maybe we can have coffee one time and continue this conversation. 
But in the interest of moving things forward, and like I also want to talk to you about Little Nas right now because it feels like that's really relevant to what we're talking about, but that's a, it's a conversation for another time. In the interest of moving things forward, though, what is your favorite Sappho fragment? So I picked out two because my favorite is literally one word. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I should have a longer one. Um, so my absolute favorite is 188. It's great. It's I don't even know why I'm looking it up. So it's I mean, it's one word. Uh, Muthoplopos or myth weaver. I actually prefer to translate it as myth braider, but there's a very important nuance there. First of all, I love this fragment. I've gotten way too much mileage out of my own research because of this fragment. But it's specifically, she's talking about Eros, and she says that he's a mutho plokos, a, a myth weaver, or like a lied tricker, like a someone who's, you know, weaving together all these myths or lies or tall tales. It's great because it's sort of like, the where we get this fragment from is from like this guy oh i should know who it is is it maximus of tyre i feel like it's maximus of tyre it's probably maximus of tyre i think he's talking about like different homoerotic so he's talking about sappho and socrates in this really interesting parallel he's like let's look at the different ways in which like you know these like man loving men and women loving women talked about like desire like you know socrates he was a sophist which is this very like pedantic sort of teachery type he's like to sappho he was like the weaver of myths and so it's this very, I love the the whole quote sort of together because it's just, I don't know, like it, it sort of like tickled me thinking about like the broader queer diaspora. I'm like, I, I don't disbelieve that. I love this. This is hilarious. <laughs> um, but also uh, just like the, both those words mean so much uh, to me, muthos, the word for myth, which also sort of like has these connotations of like authoritative speech, especially like in early epics. Like that's all like Richard Martin at Stanford is like, research is like Muthos is an authoritative speech act. But I love it. I love thinking about sort of myth as sort of the speech act, and especially in conjunction with music, uh, because like to me, rap is such a speech act and like a musical one as well. So like there's some interesting sort of links between rap and Muthos that I love thinking about. And then plopos, the word for weaving, uh, which is also the like root of the word plectrum, is there's all these sort of connotations of like weaving um, and sort of like striking at the same time. Uh, Plokos is also the word for braiding, which is why I like using it too. And so that's actually a lot of the words used for the lyre. It's like upbraiding the lyre, downbraiding on the lyre. It's sort of like all these like different ways. Um, and I also study hair. It's like uh, music, hair, and like reception and aesthetics are like all sort of what I uh, study about. So I sort of love that because there's like such funny to me that like, you know, the ancient word plectrum like means like theater and like has all these like interesting weaving and hair connotations. But then even our modern word for plectrum has the same, like it's a pick, which is like another word for a comb, especially in America. And so I love there's sort of this like continuity, even in just like the very little bits um, of like instrumentation and like myth and stuff like that, that gets sort of like passed down. Um, so that's a very lengthy explanation of one word. And that you are allowed to have a oh. one word favorite Sappho fragment. You, I mean, honestly, we all chose our favorites and like, <laughs> I have no big conversational thing to say about mine except I like it which is kind of how I interpret poetry <laughs> but also it was making me think at least about our most recent lesbian poetry episode which isn't out yet about Cheryl Clark and her um her poem about hair and also I'm sitting here thinking like should I go get a PhD in classics and then I'm like no only if Vanessa was my you know mentor like only that's the only way <laughs> 
You're so amazing. <laughs> Vanessa, so amazing. Thank you so, so, so much for thank joining us and sharing that with us. It's been such a pleasure meeting you and having you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This has been fun. All right. So speaking of favorite fragments, ladies, I think it's time for us to share ours. Are you going to start, Lisa? I can start. I, I also chose, well, I, I have one and then I did choose another, but it's only for the joke and I think you'll all appreciate it. So my favorite fragment is a Diane Rea translation, friend of the podcast, and it is fragment 91. Uh, I never met anyone more irritating, <laughs> Arena, than you. Speaking of Sappho shitposting, <laughs> what a burn. Um, <laughs> My other favorite one, like my honorable mention is Fragment 69. And like the people who did this, they know what they did. <laughs> it's just, oh, you can't see it. I don't know. Sinful. Number 69 is sinful. That was on purpose. Like you cannot oh tell me God. that that was not on purpose. The ed- that was completely on purpose. The editor was in there like. <laughs> 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 there are 10 mentally as I am. I'm just going to take this time to tell you my fan fiction of the first fragment that Lisa read, which is that Irana is like talking to an Oracle prophet figure and they're like, Irana, your name will be remembered for all of history. And she's like, as someone so irritating. <laughs> and she's like, that's awesome. <laughs> you didn't see how. It's just, I love it so much and I feel it so much. And I just think it's such a great fragment. It is. It's beautiful. I'm gonna sh- I'll share my favorite. It's also a short one. This is fragment 45, and it just reads, as long as you want. That's it. And I love the short ones that are also just, like, so, like, we've said this before. Sappho is the Shane of Lesbos, but she truly, like, she is confident. Like, this woman is like, I will please you as long as you want. That's how I interpret it. You know, like, she she's confident about her napping abilities and i just really like that about her (laughs) (laughs) ellie's making reference to our um least favorite scholarly interpretation of a sappho poem which is that the sexy poem is a napping poem wait which fragment has question it i'll read that one real quick i think it's 94 but but this is but this is the one that people think is a nap i'll just read towards the end and on a soft bed delicate you would let loose your longing oh i think it's the raya translation that has uh but either way people have said it means let loose your longing to Mm -hmm. sleep like for a nap and ellie is the only person i know who feels this way about the whole first half of the poem is about like anointing yourself with oil and lube and perfume Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. you know that i I like to always do every nap i take i like (laughs) just oil up and go to bed like no Um, so Elise, what's your favorite fragment? Actually, Lee already shared my favorite fragment, which is 31. And, you know, the cool Sappho kids, you know, try to be like, oh, 31, that's such a cliche. That's her, you know, most famous one. But I'm just like, you know, 1989 is my favorite Taylor Swift album. Like, you can't, like, I want the one hit wonder. I want the, like, I'm going to listen to it on repeat. So 31 is just so beautiful and I remember the first time I read it, I could just relate so hard to the feeling of jealousy that all the, you know, straight girls that I had crushes on in high school were talking to men. And so. Well, you know, it's, it's just so funny you should mention that, Elise, because as it turns out, we wrote a song. Oh, you did? 
for you because whenever we hear about you talking to a man, we get extremely I'm sorry filled with yeah, jealousy. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, cool. Rage. Let's hear it. Um, so <laughs> we're just going to uh, very smoothly move into that. And we can't hear you now, so you must hear us. <laughs> and this is our musical theater song. So. It's, it's very dramatic. And I've had about a couple glasses of wine at this point, so it's going to be very dramatic. But yes, we envision this song as a duet. So it's, you know, the two of us singing about our longing for Elise. And also, I mean, there's not enough women, women. Yeah, there's, there needs duets. to be more yeah, women, women okay. duets in musical theater. Oh, here, here we go. We He seems to me equal to God, that man, whoever he is, who opposite you sits, and listens close to your sweet speaking. And lovely laughing, oh, it puts the heart in my chest on wings. For when I look at you, Elise, yep. even a moment, <laughs> no speaking is left in me. No tongue breaks in thin Fire is racing under skin Hanging eyes, no sight And drumming fills my ears And cold sweat holds me And shaking grips me all Greener than grass I am And dead Or almost I see to me together until today so it's been really it is it's very exciting doing that together in person thank you Chris, hear that blend live <laughs> that was incredible i'm sure so at least we 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 wrote that for you and thank um you. i mean not the words we borrowed yeah. those but yeah. the, <laughs> the melody was for you i really appreciate it i um, thank you we should write a musical I Shameless mean, plug. Ellie, I'm writing a musical. musical. It's called it's called The Flame. Go listen. Well, it's coming out in June, but go subscribe. When I tell you I cried when I heard the first episode of The Flame. Literal tears. It's not out yet. Only a select few have gotten to hear the first episode. Yes. If you want to listen to it, I'm like, you can find it at The Flame, a podcast musical, wherever you listen to your podcast. It's released on June 2nd. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Pride month, y'all. Oh, man. I love singing with you, Lisa. It's so fun. It's the most fun. Honestly, I don't know. Goodness me. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all follow us on TikTok, but basically I spent, I was stuck in Australia by myself for six months 
And um, most of my days, I just made duets with Ellie and Elise on TikTok. We did a, a quarantine part of your world that Elise wrote and I performed globally for the World Economic Forum. <laughs> As you do. I put it on my resume. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I was like, wrote parody Little Mermaid song for performance at World Economic Forum. It's a big deal. When's my tenure application? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's talk a little bit because I know some people already have mentioned this. Lee mentioned Kirkless, but we wanted to talk about some of our favorite and maybe more surprising Saffle facts that we learned over the season. So I will start because I love gerunds. When we talked to Diane Rayer, Diane was the first person to translate it with female pronouns because of like one word towards the end of the phrase that could have been translated either way. I think it was Ode to Aphrodite. But yeah, there was like one gerund that turned it into a gay poem and everyone else before then just assumed that this word had to be masculine because a woman was writing it. Are you telling me there's this thing, heteronormativity? Is that Yeah, is I've, that what I've heard of it. Okay, cool. um, but yeah, so that blew my mind. And I also just am really grateful to Diane for really digging in and being like, let's think about this for a minute. And Is that yeah. the point at which like we started crying during her interview, Ellie? Like, that was right. later, but okay. we yeah. cried because Diane Rayer literally said to us that her life's purpose was to translate Sappho. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she has a son too, but... Sappho like that's literally what she said it was to an us. Afterthought she's to like that. well I guess I love my son too and we, were like, oh she, my God. we were so moved by that and it was just like I had chills I just remember having chills and then just crying and just being like I can't believe I'm talking to this person it was amazing it was quite beautiful and now she's like our podcast mom yes oh so good she calls us up she tells us about things it's yeah. great my favorite thing is the papyrology stuff who knew that papyrology was so great and also and not so great. dark yeah <laughs> that's all kinds of problems who knew oh my god eurocentrism colonialism yeah we thought that who was going to be one quick episode about like where we find sappho's fragments but instead it was a five five part four, four part. part okay yeah four think, part yeah. mini series podcast within a podcast yeah it Crazy. was really cool but a lot of the people who work in papyrology that we got to talk to like malcolm was so great yeah the whole dirk dirk Albank allegedly 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 you can you can hear more about it all alleged but it is wild and my favorite type of uh fact from this season um is just the whole Phaon myth how like ovid during roman times wrote this made-up story about sappho leaping to her death off of these cliffs because this uh ferryman Phaon didn't love her um, which Jane told us, uh, Jane, the actress, in one of our episodes was just like, she interprets it in her play as like, I would never kill myself over some like sweaty public transit worker. And just the indignance in that, you know, like, yeah. So that was my favorite fact. Um, and what are your all favorite songs from, this? I mean, I think Ellie Disco. I love the disco, but... I mean, Lisa and I have sung a bunch already, but Elise has done some amazing songs this season as well. One of my favorite ones is the, um, it's like 90s grunge kind of rock, right? Like Stained. Yeah. That one. You guys remember the band Stained that they didn't have an E in their name? It's just Stained with the D. Yeah, it's really obnoxious. 
So that was my inspiration because the fragment, it's fragment four by Ann Carson. And the last word of it is stained. So Ellie was like, you should do a ballad. And I was like, the only ballads I understand are 90s alt rock ballads. And so I leaned into Nothing it really hard. And if you lean into 90s ballads too hard, you end up sounding like Andy Dwyer and Mouse Rat from Parks and Recreation. You know, so that's kind of, and yeah. that's exactly the, the ethos I was going for. Yeah, you, I think you lean just hard enough. Yeah. So, Elise, you have the leather jacket. Oh. Could you please potentially play a song? Let me just roll up my sleeve on my leather jacket and do exactly <laughs> that. Face haven't been stained, haven't been stained, stained. Would be. Amazing, amazing. My face is stained. Am I allowed as well? to unmute myself and say something really quickly? Yes, please. Kristen, you can say what I you just, want. I just want to let everyone know that I Googled stained to see what they were up to, and they recently really disappointed everyone at the Illinois State Fair because they canceled last minute they were supposed to headline. <gasps> so, oh, no. just so you know, oh, no. hot breaking news from stained without an E. I couldn't, I couldn't survive without letting you all know. Yeah, this article is from two days ago. It's hot. It's big news. They canceled. What was their excuse? Scheduling conflict. Oh come on! What else are they doing? Yeah, I do- That's <laughs> it doesn't say. It doesn't say. So. What is anybody doing? Yeah. Right now? <laughs> I look. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Elise, great job. Uh, I just had a breaking news. Do 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 do. Thank you. This is Kristen. I'm out. so glad you found that out. Also, they should have booked you instead, Elise. What were they yeah, thinking? I can, I can, you know, channel some Eddie better. Like, Elise, thank you so much. I'm going to take your spotlight away and I'm going to add our good friend of the podcast, Liv Albert, of Let's Talk About, wait, Ellie, Let's Talk About Myths, Baby. About Aphrodite. What's the next part? <laughs> Let's Talk About. I can't even remember. All the, what is it? I don't remember. I don't remember what we said. Sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about myths a little bit, a little bit. That was just off the cuff, and that's a problem. That's why we shouldn't do it. (laughs) Um, So Liv Albert has a degree in classical civilizations and English literature from Concordia University, Montreal. She is the creator, host, and producer of the popular Greek and Roman mythology podcast, Let's Talk About Myths Baby, where she sings that song every single episode, which (laughs) I love. She brings her modern perspective and her education together to explore the Greek myths from a casual, humorous perspective. You know, it's, it's an amazing podcast and also a recently published author. <laughs> Ooh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Liv. Thank you. 
you guys. Thanks for promoting my book. Always. And for buying it local. That's the key. So we had some great chats with Liv about Aphrodite. It was our Christmas bonus episode. We all drank a lot of wine and had a chat about Aphrodite. We did. Um, Yeah, there was a lot cut out of that episode. (laughs) Yeah, the editing was very fun. Thank you all. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, and all this is going. (laughs) But I saved it for, you know, for personal use. It's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) So Liv, why don't you tell us? We've done all of our favorite fragments. What's your favorite Sappho fragment? Okay, so I have like one that's a favorite, but then I picked a different one because I'm going to debut my first attempts at pronouncing ancient Greek because it's my greatest shame that I don't know it, but I'm working on it. I'm not working on it particularly hard because I'm really busy, but I really want to know it. So regardless, I'm getting there. But my personal, my actual favorite is 52, but it has some words that are much harder to pronounce (laughs) than the ones I'm going with, which is 47, which is also very fun, but is generally easier to pronounce in the ancient Greek, which I think is important. This is going to be so bad. Eros detenas de moi, frenas os animos cat oros drusen empeton. That was awful. You did great. But in English, thank you. Do you know what? That's way better than my ancient Greek. You know, it's, I'm on whole like day three, (laughs) I'm trying to learn it. But anyway, in Carson's translation is, Eros shook my mind like a mountain wind falling on oak trees, which I just think is beautiful. Every time someone says Eros, Ellie and I have to, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Ellie and I have to, <laughs> to knock over our mic. Should I do it? You mean Eros? Should I, should I join you? <laughs> yeah, Eros. So why do you love this one? Um, I mean, I feel like I, I kind of feel similarly um, to Lisa where I just think it's nice. I mean, mythologically, I'm a big fan of of any that are going to have a character in them. I mean, obviously, Eros is both a character and a concept, so a little of both there. But I just think it's pretty. Yeah. I love it. Can you tell us a little bit about Eros as a character in Greek mythology? I know we've talked about it before, but I still want to hear more. Yeah. Well, he's a sort of interesting character in that you can interpret him in many different ways, including just as the concept of love itself, um, or as the son of Aphrodite and Ares, which is my personal favorite, um, because it makes him the brother of Harmonia, which is one of my favorite underrated goddesses. Um, But then also, there is the, the version of the mythology where he was actually just like a personified anthropomorphized concept that sprung from chaos itself making him one of like the most primordial deities which is cool in its own right yeah i mean basically the you know the the common concept of of eros is going to be cupid the or like a cherub but really he's like a kid sometimes he's not a kid other times there's a lot of sort of differing imagery and stories when it comes to him which i just think is fascinating in itself like sometimes he's a cherub-like baby rarely cherub-like in ancient greek but sometimes he's a baby um though in greek pottery and stuff babies tended to be just like tiny people like as if they were just kind of like shrunk (laughs) down like complete regular proportions everywhere else just tiny and they're especially funny (laughs) um but yeah so i mean he sort of 
there's so many different kind of concepts and interesting things to do with Eros as a character. And you were you were in a Sappho class this morning, you said. Uh, a Greek, yeah. So I have this, there's a really lovely Latin, actually, professor at UVic who just like saw me tweeting about wanting to learn ancient Greek and was like, I can help you. And so we have Zoom lessons every Saturday morning and he like finds a Greek passage and the translation, and then we just like read it aloud and go through each word, and it's been very lovely. So I've just done like the third of that today, and Sappho was the one this morning, mostly because I have a Sappho tattoo, and I wanted to make sure that I could pronounce it. Tell us about your tattoo. What fragment is it? It's 52, so I was going to read it. And Car- Carson's translation is, I would not dare touch the sky with two arms. And I just think it's pretty, and I like the, I mean, I like the sort of, godliness aspect of it and the just the i i sort of interpreted of like the danger of the gods on mount olympus and like don't go near them like stay close to earth um but then i guess there's kind of an interpretation too of the word that gets translated as two arms could also be like the two arms on the top of a lyre so it's like musical as well which i think is really sort of an added level of fascination and and Sappho connection there and kind of fun because I actually had already planned on getting a liar added to the tattoo because it was is sorely missing an actual liar so that's already happening like next month and then now I'm like wait well the translation even fits it better so it's very suitable I mean if there's anything I've learned from your podcast is that I don't want to go near yeah Yeah, exactly right it just seems like it seems like it feels like a warning like a beautifully told warning to me makes sense and so Elise I believe that you recently read uh something that you were going to share with us uh yeah I have to ask Liv about this link that I'm putting into the chat for y'all okay so I was I was um I was about to say I was reading the New Yorker but I don't read the New Yorker (laughs) my wife does and then she pulls out the things she thinks will interest me and like sends them to me so that's a nice service she provides um (laughs) And she sent me this one because she was like, okay, so apparently there was an all couple, male male couple army, yeah, in 338 BC um, in Greece, Thebes, the sacred band of Thebes, and they would go and fight together. And the idea was that, like, if you had a whole bunch of couples in an army together, they would fight more bravely because they wouldn't want to look, you know, weak in front of their beloved. And so... So I was thinking, like, this might be the perfect, like, segue from our season one into our season two, which is about the untold history of pirates and queer stuff from pirate history and women in pirate history and everything else. So I'm thinking, like, you know, this army, like, maybe they sailed some, maybe they, like, they're they're this military group that's bonded together by their love for each other. So Liv, what do you know about this sacred band of thieves? Um, So to be honest, I kind of expected the New Yorker to have more information on it because it kind of talks <laughs> about it. And I, 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 I didn't have time to research beyond the New Yorker because that's how I roll and that's how my anxiety handles itself is being unprepared. <laughs> um, but I mean, basically, like I, I read it and I would have expected some kind of explanation because I mean, frankly, that sounds like a great thing to us now, but not really how they handled things back then. Like, I mean, unless they're talking like pederasty, because that tended to be the most accepted form of uh, of male relationships. Um, that said, it's not like it's impossible. I do like that it's from Thebes because Thebes is sort of one of my favorite, like underrated Greek city states. But I think, yeah, it's quite interesting. And and 
I think a lot of it is too is based on how they were buried. Like they were buried kind of together, which which makes a lot of sense um, when you're talking. They're probably about... just really good friends, roommates. <laughs> you know, some of them. Yeah, this this image on the New Yorker is like a drawing of the ways they were they were all buried. Um, There's a lot of like and... holding hands and stuff, right? Exactly. They're all mm. holding hands. All the corpses are holding hands. Yeah. So, well, I think there's so I think there's definitely like a lot of relationships that we that are just so different. Like the 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 way to understand them is it's hard from a modern lens, right? Because like yeah. a lot of them would have yeah. had relationships and probably like romantic relationships, but actual partnerships is different like i think i mean that wasn't particularly accepted maybe it was different in thieves a lot of the information we have that's broadly available and again like i only have a ba i'm not i'm not a scholar but is based in athenian everything uh so but at the same time like i'm certain that if you're like in an army especially like some kind of an elite army there you know you're gonna develop bonds and relationships especially when there is there isn't the same level of like heteronormative normality <laughs> for like you know it's it, it, there wasn't like yes most of their like most accepted relationships would have been between you know the the gender binary whatever not not obvious you know like not accepting that that's a thing but that would have been the understanding of of how a lot of them saw their relationships but at the same time like when they're off together all the time in those lives like they might have had they might have been married back home, but they were in a relationship with a man, their army, and therefore, and so loved them just as much as they would have if they were in a you know committed relationship with them. I don't know totally what I'm answering with this, but just the, the way they understood everything was so different, right? Like it's just not how it is now. Like, yeah. We have some comments in the chat too. Bailey Bailey says that they thought they'd heard the story before and that the relationships were pederasty. Can you talk about what pederasty is like in ancient Greece? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, I'm not remotely a Greek historian. The absolute basic level of it is that older men had relationships with younger men, and they saw it as more of, like, a, I mean, I, I think they saw it as, like, kind of a growth situation. Like, you know, they're, like, a, the way that you grow into a man is by having a relationship with an older man. But at the same time, but it obviously, like, now has pretty dark connotations, and I'm sure it wasn't, like, overall good back then, too, but it's written about as if it was good in my knowledge, again, but I'm not, I'm not a specialist in it, well, or history in general, but thankfully, specifically not a specialist in, in pederasty. Well, this is exactly what I've been reading about with the, the queer history of pirates, is that on the ships, it was pederasty, and it was, you know, non-consensual with younger boys, Mm -hmm. But also, you know, if there were if there were occasions where there were, you know, like consensual um, romantic or, um, you know, age age appropriate relationships, the, there's no historical evidence for it. Right. So like the big book um, on queer piracy, the argument the, the historian's whole argument is like, OK, it was all male environments in a ship for three years. Of course, they, there was homosexual activity. And the, the other historians are like, no, we need proof. And it's like, no, 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 like just like. Of course there was. And, and it's just like taken as like a, a, a fact, just like the whole situational homosexuality. So interesting. I, I'm reading the, the comments on here too. And yeah, they were like, they were taken out by Philip of Macedon. It's like Alexander the Great's father, I think. And Alexander the Great was there too, but he wasn't great yet. Um, but that this would make a great movie. Yeah. It would be better than the Alexander movie. Yeah. There's a lot of film ideas yeah. here. 
So who knows Hollywood before? <laughs> I want to initial... roll with the vampire paparologist first before <laughs> anything mean, else. I feel like that's the most important. Previously, I did want the L word on Lesbos, Sappho Shane, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Another, I mean, network executives can hear us. Give the people, people what they, they want. want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Snap. Um, I'll say we just, you know, thank you so much, Liv, for joining us. We are so excited to cover Pirates next season, the untold history of Pirates. Can I Can I make, uh, I don't know if you already have this in a plan, but Dionysus and the Pirates should probably Ooh. be. Ooh. I mean, because it's a be good a guest one. on our podcast, Liv, and talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Dionysus and the Pirates is one of the greatest stories. We have about 10 minutes left-ish, 12. Um, so I'm going to spotlight all of the... Um, amazing people who have joined us today and we have a couple of questions let's do that and then i think elise has a, a goodbye i think also vanessa wanted to do a quick plug so why don't vanessa you do that quick plug and then we'll take questions from any from the audience cool okay i just want to let folks know uh, uh i feel bad letting folks know because it's technically not in the most complete stage yet but that's not my fault um and we have the subtitles on the side to download um but if folks are interested uh, the most uh, recent production of Iphigenia in Aulis that was done uh, by Varner in Columbia. I did the music for it. We shot it like a film. Uh, it's very art house and very, very different. Um, and sadly, in the middle of our premiere, the subtitles cut out. Uh, so we included a document sort of in the description that has the full script. Um, and then there's like the uh, program as well. Um, but yeah, it's like technically has nothing to do with like gay folks or pirates, but like you could think about it in like a really roundabout way because it's about like the fleet of Greeks getting stopped on their way to Troy. And then like a bunch of like married women who are still really young come and like sing and they're like horny about them until they realize that like they shouldn't be happy about horniness in marriage because like someone's about to die. <laughs> so then they get really sad. It's just great. Um, but yeah, there's also, I was thinking when you guys were talking about wow. Eros uh, earlier, there's this uh, sort of interesting, like, fine line between uh, the gods Eros and Eris, the goddess of uh, destruction, and sort of like them as primordial forces that gets played with a lot uh, in the play. And it was a lot of fun, and I'm like, kind of proud of it. Uh, and so if folks are interested, definitely check it out. Amazing. We also, like, I love the the chaos aspect of Eros because that's what Sappho write, writes a lot about, right? Eros is, like, painful, is, like, disastrous for Sappho. So it definitely makes sense. Yeah. Um, if anyone in the audience has any questions for us or for any of our guests, we would love to hear them. If you want to put them in the chat, we will get to as many as we can in the next five or so minutes. Vanessa, do you use, like, modern, like, fourth century golden era Athenian techniques when playing your lyre? So like, yeah, or at least what we think. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, originally when I went to like lyre school, I was like, cool, yes, teach me all the ancient techniques. Like, I want to learn. And then like, everyone was like, so let's all translate what these musical terminology is 
do y'all have any idea what this means? Um, so there definitely is uh, a lot of guesswork still. But uh, yes, a lot of the ways in which I play the liar comes from mostly fifth and fourth century uh, documents. Plato was really big on a lot of them. Um, but yeah, just a lot of like the words um, and techniques, some of which we don't even know. Like there's like a word for like when it whistles and we're like, what? <laughs> we're like harmonics. Like, are we supposed to do like maybe an up glissando? I don't know. Um, so yeah, we're, it is a lot more theoretical. <laughs> I think that people uh, would actually like think it is. Uh, a lot of the ancient music world, it's, it's a lot of, we're still figuring stuff out. Um, I actually thought it was like a lot more, like had all of its stuff together <laughs> before I got into it. And I was like, oh God, we're all still just kind of like guessing. Um, but the ways in which we hold it, especially with it, uh, our hands tied to the lyre and uh, our other hands strumming it with the plectrum, that's at least like in iconography, always how like it looks when people are playing. Like it's pretty consistent with that. So like, how do you, when you're playing, um, like since Sappho was an archaic musician, is like, do you have like a different theory of that? Cause like, I know archaic music is just a big question mark. So like, is that why you're, I was just wondering your reasoning. I think it's great reasoning. I think your music is great, like in no way a critique, but weird. Oh, no, no. Yeah, like this is literally just what I've like started with. I really want a barbiton. Um, I'm just like, Marco, my like friend who makes uh, like all the fun liars over in Italy. I'm just like, send me a barbiton, please. Cause that is like the actual liar that um, Sappho would have played. Um, and so no, yeah, there's like different techniques for different types of liar as well. Um, and this is goes beyond lyre too. This is all ancient instruments. Um, the Alos players as well. I have a few buddies who play the double pipes and like they're all stressed trying to figure out like the different keys, the different tones um, because there was such a like Alos versus lyre and Keithra thing, especially in the fifth century. Um, and all of us are like trying to figure out like how these instruments fit in with each other. Um, so yeah, I know, like I definitely want to eventually actually get to a barbaton so I can like get those like nice long strings, like get into it properly in the ways that she would have. Cause I'm like, yeah, no, this like instrument is like a couple hundred years, like actually after her. Um, but yeah, so we're still sort of like figuring it all out, but it, there's so many, like, it's so big and there's so many moving pieces. So no, you're not insulting me at all. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I need to get on that. Like I, I should this summer actually probably get another liar other than this one that I've made because I did not make it that well and I need a new instrument. Um, so no, thank you for asking. You gonna go full tortoise shell, Vanessa? Well, it's <laughs> like not super legal in many countries. <laughs> fake one yeah. a fake one just painted like a tortoise yeah shell. yeah this is like this is synthetic tortoise actually uh but yeah it would be synthetic tortoise is my new band name yeah yes yeah, synthetic tortoise and the liars um i think we have a question from valley so if valley you want to um unmute we would love to hear from sure, you yeah. uh thank you so much for like inviting me to come here this is really cool um my question is for someone who's thinking about starting a podcast how do you sort of like get your message out there and get people to listen to you like because I'm not really good at the whole social media thing so how did you get a lot of listeners when you first started that is a great question I mean we have a lot of podcasters here who wants who would like to answer <laughs> who have built their shows pretty much from the ground up pretty much all of us so who wants to answer I mean I would say that word of mouth really goes 
a long way. I actually, when when we were starting History is Gay, I was already part of groups like uh, the Buffering the Vampire Slayer Patreon Facebook group, and um, I was also listening to like My Favorite Murder at the time. It was part of a couple of like queer murderino groups. Anytime somebody commented asking for podcast recommendations, I would give my own and then also say, and by the way, like a friend of mine and myself are going to be starting a podcast. Like if you're interested at all, let me know and I'll post Whoa. about it. Um, just, you know, kind of doing like a plug, but being like, you might be interested in this if you also are interested in these, you know, areas and groups. Um, and that went a long way. We posted in those groups and, and you know, our first episode had far more listeners than we thought it would because we originally were thinking ah our six friends will listen to this um and i think people are just excited to kind of find themselves in circles that have similar interests and mm. dive in i'd also say like so for Liv and lee and Kristen and ellie they all started their podcast at a very different time from when we started sweet bitter and we've been you know so thankful that we've had so many incredible people who have uh we, that we built relationships with who had us on their show. So a lot of people came to us through buffering or history is gay or let's talk about myths, baby. And it was all just about like reaching out and being like, Hey, you know, everyone's always looking for a new podcast. And I know for me, when I hear someone talk on one of my favorite podcasts, I'm always like ready to listen to that podcast too. And I think a lot of people came to us through there and, and Bechdel cast and a whole bunch of others, but really just like, you know, for independent podcasters, like we don't have these big companies behind us. And honestly, if you're creating something that's awesome to listen to, uh, people are often happy to help. So thank you to all of you who are here, who have joined us for our final season one wrap up and also just for having us on because it made such a difference to our listenership and you've all been just so generous and lovely. Yes. It's it's true too. Like um, Valley, you said, like I'm not good at social media. Mm. And something that I learned really quickly at the beginning of um, podcasting was that, yeah, social media is, is great to connect the people who use it who also listen to your podcast. But the listenership of a podcast is its own thing. Um, and, you know, as a person who was using social media so much beforehand, I would often think one was the other. And it's really not. People who are podcast people are podcast people. And they will do exactly what you said, Lisa. You know, like, I heard this person here. The amount of people who are like, I heard Jenny as a minotaur on mm -hmm. the Magic Tavern. Or, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, and, and then they find or it's it's really like its own um, what's the word for math? That's not math. Algebra. It's hell its own algebra. Math. Yeah, it's its own hell math. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I hate to, you know, the word use the word the dreaded word networking, and it doesn't have to be scary like that. I mean, like like Lisa was saying, it's podcasters are not intimidating. We're just, as you are seeing right now, a bunch of nerds in our bedroom <laughs> with a microphone. And so you can just, you know, if there's somebody that has a, a show that you admire and their content is either similar or you think their audience might be similar to yours, just send them a message and be like, hey, I've got this show. I really enjoy, you know, your show. Like, is there any way we can chat and collaborate? And honestly, it's really, really easy to make friends in podcasting because mm -hmm. half of it is I really like the stuff you do let's mm -hmm. talk 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like send them two more after that if they don't yes. reply. Yeah, because <laughs> truly, like I I think all the time about like the timing of the buffering email inbox, and it's just like it depends on the day. It's like sometimes I'm having a day where I'm like, oh god, I have to get through all of these emails, and so I I don't respond to some or whatever. And some some days I'm like. Wow, humanity is incredible. I want to do all of the. It just it depends on the day that your email comes right. through. So just like yeah, send a few. And I'll I'll do a quick plug. Uh, if you are thinking about creating a podcast or are already a podcaster and you are queer or your podcast has queer content, I run a. Uh, I know Facebook is garbage, but uh, it's useful for some things. I run a queer podcasting Facebook group called Queer Pod- Podcasting Alliance. That's which how is Ellie at- and I met. <laughs> exactly, which is exactly how Lisa and Ellie got together uh Lisa posted a post in there and was like hey I want to do this post I want to do this podcast and Ellie commented and Sweet Bitter was born so and I think so like just this gathering here like really speaks to how radical that sense of like community is among queer podcasters like just how generous it was for you know Liv and Lee and Kristen to come appear on this today but also you know hosting us on their shows and all of these you know kind of acts of generosity allow us to each build each other's audiences more and um I think it's really it, it really touches my heart nerds also, for nerds nerds for nerds absolutely <laughs> one person was saying in the um chat there about finding podcasts via keywords so I thought it I think it's a good thing to note too that like if if social media, if that whole world is really not your thing, which is how I felt at the beginning, I felt like it was all the pressure in the world on me to like, make sure I tweeted enough and people saw it or like, make sure I commented on Facebook or whatever. And like, I'm not a Facebook person. I hate it. Even to this day, like I'm barely on my Facebook page for the podcast, but having like keyword stuff is really important. You can give yourself a really obnoxious um, subtitle that like no one is ever going to say because it's too long and it's stupid, but it picks up in keywords. Like my podcast title, when you look for me, is the longest, most annoying thing in the world, but it's because I wanted to have like Greek and Roman mythology, those words fully spelled out in my title. So do things like that, like Google the hell out of all of it. Like that's how I figured out how to do everything. It's just Googling like podcast best practices. We got really lucky with our name. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's like really funny with our name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yours just has it all, I think. In it, yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. why just, anybody anybody who types gay and history into Google, it's. Mwah. I have to thank my 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 co-host for that. She came up with it, and it's it's been such a blessing. <laughs> Except for the fact that history is gay on Twitter was taken, and I was very no. sad. So and they've done nothing with it. <laughs> oh, God. It's just a picture of Abraham Lincoln. And you no should tweets. request to get it. Sometimes you can get it. That's true. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like we've gotten our brand with our history escape pod. Like, <laughs> you know, oh. you got like like having pod or cast in your Twitter name is such a niche, beautiful thing. <laughs> how did you, Kristen? How did you come up with the name Buffering the Vampire Slayer? Well, you know, it was really hard. Um, Jenny had it. Jenny had Jenny had the whole thing planned for like years before there was a podcast. Like the name existed so long. But to your oh. point, Liv, like our the title of our podcast on all of the pod apps are like is buffering the vampire slayer colon a Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> podcast for exactly that reason. Because in the beginning, when you mm. looked up Buffy podcast, you just didn't find us. Um, mm. So yeah, keywords are important and. You know, word puns are very important, but <laughs> mostly the most important thing. I mean, yeah. we we did that. We originally were just going to be sweet, bitter, and then we moved it to a Sappho podcast. And then as we're moving into season two, 
as much as we would love to talk about Sappho forever, we're covering these different topics. So it will be interesting to see if people still find us because I was looking for a Sappho podcast, um, which is how this came to be because um, there wasn't one and that's criminal. Um, but we are going to be moving into the untold history of pirates. And on that note, because we are at this point over time, I'm going to say thank you to all of you so much for being here. It's just been honestly just the most fun afternoon. I've just had a blast. Um, and I'm going to ask Elise to sing her viral TikTok sensational song. About no one asked for pirates this. being gay. I'm asking for it. I'm asking uh, for it. <laughs> I mean, no one asked for it to go viral. That was like, I was, like I had to get off TikTok for like a month because I was really overwhelmed. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna bang on the table. I think. I hope it's not too loud. I'm just slowly removing everybody's spotlight. Well, in books and movies and video games, pirates always seem to be straight. And if you ask me, that's a crying shame, because pirates all were gay. Oh, they were gay and queer and trans and pan and bi. The heteronormative pirate myth is a fucking lie. And they married each other on their pirate ships and kissed with the taste of rum on their lips. And they held hands while they raided towns, because pirates all were gay. Oh, they were gay and queer and trans and pan and bi. The heteronormative pirate myth is a fucking lie. They flew a rainbow skull and crossbones flag and they fell in love and they dressed in dragon when they walked the plank. It was more of a sachet because the pirates all were gay. Oh, they were gay and queer and trans and pan and bi. The heteronormative pirate myth is a fucking lie. They wore glitter on their hooks and their eye patch and put gay bars on their treasure maps and Blackbeard never needed a beard because it was fine to be gay. Woo! Amazing, what a way to end it. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you, Elise. I know I also love that Lee is singing along perfectly. <laughs> Like, might have listened to it just a couple of times. Single word. I was watching your lips <laughs> and I was like, I know why I know this because it was stuck oh. in my head for quite some time. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and I so... mean, yeah, I, I have a soft spot for you know queer pirate history. It's it's, Who it's doesn't? one of the things that started <laughs> my show. So I'm excited. I'm so excited. Thank you all so much. Thank Have you, a everyone. great Thanks rest of your Saturday. Thank you Thanks, to all of guys. our wonderful guests and everyone who came and hung out. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to Sweet Bitter. This is our last episode of season one. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Our second season will come out in August. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us. It really helps, especially written reviews on Apple Podcasts. You can also support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash sweetbitter. Patrons have access to 11 bonus episodes. So if you'd like some more content from us while we're on break, please become a patron. Sweet Bitter is an independent production by me, Ellie Brigida, Elise Knorr, and Lisa Charlotte. Our artwork is by Estella Illustrated. Music is by Lyron Rhapsody. Special thanks to Krista Russo, Liv Albert, Lee Pfeffer, Vanessa Stovall, and all of those who attended our live event. If you want updates on what we're up to on the break, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SweetBitterPod or contact us on our website, SweetBitterPodcast.com. As you know, we love singing songs and we love making new songs for Sappho, but I wanted to leave you today 
with another song, which is from my upcoming musical, oh my The Flame. We'll be releasing our first episode on June ah. 2nd. It is a beautiful story about lesbian love and chosen family and the LGBTQ community set in everyone's favorite LGBTQ bar. And the song that you're going to be hearing today is called Maybe Today. I hope you enjoy. And when I tell you that I cried when I listened to the first episode of this podcast, and you know me, I'm the least likely to cry on this podcast, so... That I would most often not say this, but I loved seeing you cry. It made me feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy that it's really resonating with people. And I think the first episode will resonate with a lot of our listeners, too. Never dreamed of being my wife 